Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. It's finally December in the holidays, and it's cold, and we're all wearing sweaters, and it's amazing, but we just wanted to welcome you to the church. I'm Sarah, and this is my husband, Scott, and um, this season is not only fun because of the lights and because of the cold weather, but it's because it's a time of um, celebrating something that's bigger than all of us. And we're going to kick off Advent, Um, so each Sunday we're going to be lighting a candle, one of these candles, and this is done as a tradition um, to prepare us. Um, So we all know that Jesus already came, but we're preparing our hearts um, and our our lives and um, just our homes, I think, in preparation for Jesus' second coming and for the fact that he came. It's just resetting us as we go into December 25th when we hit Christmas and everything um, seems to like be telling us what to do in life. We're told to buy certain things, to prep certain meals. We're like told on TV that it needs to look cute too. But um, this is a time of really refocusing on what matters and um, so we're going to be doing this um, not us but branches as a community is going to be doing this each Sunday until um, Christmas so we're going to kick it off um, and Scott's going to read us some scripture this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So if you guys will come in agreement, I'm going to say a quick prayer over um, all of us. And uh, if you guys can just bow your heads and prepare your hearts with me and with Scott. Lord, I just thank you so much for this season that you've called us to walk alongside of you. It's such an honor, God. I just thank you so much for giving us, Jesus, that you gave us such a beautiful gift and an example of how to live our lives, and it's literally changed the entire world and how we see everything, that no matter what, we can focus on you and not be distracted by the things around us. I just pray that you would give us... um, wisdom as we're going into the season and how to prepare our own hearts and how to be loving to our own families and our friends. I just thank you so much that you've made us all so individually unique and beautiful and that you've given us a purpose and that we would just shine in our gifts, that we would use it, that we would not be distracted by anything around us, but that we would be able to walk in our fullness and our calling and our destiny that you've given us. And I just thank you so much for... um, the next coming year, that you would just take these next four weeks and just really prepare our hearts for this upcoming year and any changes that we need to make, Lord, that you would just make it evidently clear, that you'd give us clarity in what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And I just thank you so much for the gift that you've given us of grace and mercy throughout every single season. And I just thank you for um, the joy that comes with walking alongside with you, Lord, and that we would just walk in that joy uh, throughout the rest of the season. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we did get some more Bibles. I think we stole them from the teenagers because they've been stealing from us. That's what we found out. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, make this yours. If you have a Bible, bring it. Um, 
So the theme that we're going with for this Christmas is uh, Christmas is about one thing. And um, so uh, Branch is posted, and then I shared it, and then my aunt did one of those little comments underneath, and she went, yeah, it is Jesus. Um, I don't come from a very religious family, uh, but my, my aunt did, and I, like, I wanted to correct her because that's not actually the answer. Some of you are like, what? Blasphemy, how dare you? Uh, but that's not the one thing. You see, we're going to get into that in detail, but it's not like Jesus wasn't getting enough attention. It wasn't like God's like, you know what? They're really, they've kind of forgot about me. I'm coming down because I want them to remember me. I want them to notice me. I'm feeling a little alone. That's not what Christmas is about. So yes, but no. And so if my Aunt Brenda is listening to this podcast, please forgive me. Um, but stay tuned, we'll get there. Uh, but the first thing we need to figure out here as we go through this story, um, you know, even as I say story, we have to decide, wait a minute, is this a fairy tale or is this news? Because, I mean, let's slow down and think about this. We're, we're talking about a man who uh, was to be born of a virgin and then... Uh, walked this earth, had the ability to heal, uh, was able to walk on water, died, and then rose again. We have to decide, is this a fairy tale or is this news? Is this a report? Because it kind of sounds like a Marvel book character or a, Mar a, a, a superhero. And some of us may think of it as a myth and some of us think of a news, but we need to clarify this. And when I talk about a fairy tale, fairy tale, and by the way, um, that idea, and some of this sermon and some of others, oh, I straight stole it. And if you don't know me well enough yet, I mean, if you haven't heard this before, like, I'm a thief, and I don't apologize for it. Because if it's the truth, it's public property. And so there's this book called uh, The Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller, and I love Tim Keller. Um, uh, and so we, I, I bought some of those books. I don't know where they went. I think they're in the back. They're in the back. And so if you want one, um, of course you can take it. It would be great if you left money in the offering or back there. Um, they cost us $15, but for you, 10 Or let's face it, there's nobody back there. You can take it. <laughs> but uh, the reality is, and, and I was joking with uh, someone this morning about it, and I said, but if you're going to take the book, you have to read it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for that book. And you read maybe a page, or you say, I'm going to read that someday, and it just sits there. Like, those are for people like, no, I'm going to read it. So you know that once you get it, you're like, ah, oh, man, I have to read it. Yes. So look, it's short. Kind of big, kind of big print. So it's not super hard, but the quality of what's in there is what matters. And Tim Keller brings up this idea of fairy tale versus news. And a fairy tale usually has a cautionary tale to it or like, hey, here's a fairy tale or a story and this will teach you how to live. And some people can look at the story of Jesus and, and go, oh, you know what? It's just teaching us how to live. But um, the way I think of a fairy tale, and let's try to go through this. Um, if you've been to Disneyland, and let's face it, if you're from Southern California and you don't have little tiny children, you only go every few years because we know what it's really like there. Uh, so when you do go, 
and I took my daughter, um, there's Splash Mountain. And you, as a dad, we have an issue where we push our children to things that they're not ready for. And so she's like, I don't want to do that. I don't. I go, you can do this ride. You're going to love it. And you're going to see the picture and you're smiling. You're going to want it. And so I took her there. And as dads typically do, we traumatize them and they never want to go back. So we did the Splash Mountain thing. And when you go inside, it's a fairy tale. And it's about Br'er Rabbit, and it's a cautionary tale, right? Hey, you should listen to your parents. You shouldn't have left. But it's also a cautionary tale of, uh, not cautionary, but a tale of, of how to live because he's really wise, and he tricks the bear, and he tricks the wolf. And so you get to the point where you're dropping down, and you're like, oh, no, Br'er Rabbit's been thrown into the briar patch. Oh, no. And then you drop from hundreds of feet, and your daughter's squeezing your hand, and she's like this. And in the picture, you're laughing, and you're looking at her. And then you finish it. And you get to the bottom, and basically Bray Rabbit's like, I grew up in the Briar Patch. No problem. Woohoo! And everything's fine. Yay! And then you go through, and um, they stole the, the characters from America Sings because they couldn't afford. Did you know that? It wasn't like, this would be great. It was like, we don't have enough money to finish the ride, and we have to shut down that ride, so let's take those guys and put them over here. So when you see those little birds with their eyes closed going like this, it's just because Disney ran out of, of money, and so they had to bring them over. I found that out. But in that whole thing, you take your kid through there, it's a fairy tale. It's to teach them a lesson. But news, news is different. You see, because a fairy tale tells you this is what you should do. You should listen to your parents and you should be smart. That's what's in the briar rabbit tale. But news doesn't tell you what to do. It tells you that someone else has done something. That's what news is. A fairy tale is for us, teaching us how to live. But news tells you what someone else has done. And that is what Christmas is about. Christmas is telling us not what you need to do. So at the end of the message, we're not going to go, okay, now you need to go do this. We're going to celebrate the news of what's already been done and where that came from and what it's about. And the one thing we're going to get into here in a second, I hope will turn your Christmas completely upside down. And let's face it, we come with all of our, our, our values at Christmas. There's the secular Christmas, because it's a secular holiday, it's a f- yet it's also a, it has spiritual roots. And some people on either side get really upset when the other group messes with their Christmas, right? So you, if, you, if you view it just secular, you get really upset that you've got these billboards saying Jesus is the reason for the season and someone's dragging you into these church services that you only go to one time a year or you're frustrated about um, these certain songs that are talking about Jesus and you're like, hey, give me some jingle bells. And then you've got people on the other side like, how dare you take this Christmas and turn it into this and there's lights and trees and no, this is about Jesus and this and this and this and they, they fight with each other. And for most of us, it's a mixture of both. For most of us, it's a mixture of both. But I hope that your Christmas gets turned completely upside down when you hear what the one thing is. Because for most of us, it, we, we don't really embrace it. And, and to be honest, it wasn't until this last year that I was really able to embrace this one thing. And I shared a little bit about that before, and I've shared it again and again and again. I'm pretty much going to be Uncle Boog that shares the same story over and over again. And you're like, oh, he doesn't seem old enough to keep forgetting that he shared that story before. But I'm going to keep sharing this over and over again. Um, 
but I hope it gets transformed because for many of us, Christmas is this beautiful time and for some of us, it's this painful time and for some of us, it's this exhausting time and I hope it gets turned upside down. We as a family uh, are in a stage right now where Christmas is confusing to us um, because uh, last year, one of the most dramatic, life-changing things happened to us at Christmas. And um, every time... Uh, the hospital would call Stephanie, it was when she left the hospital. And they'd say, you got to get back. Like, everything became serious when she left. Uh, meaning, you better come back, he's going to die. Um, bring the kids, this may be it. That's basically what happened at least three times. And of course, she, you know, she never wanted to leave, and then she never wanted to leave because she figured, okay, as soon as I leave, something bad's going to happen. But we'd all, including me, say, no, you should go. And so she'd go, and then she'd drive back, and she'd have to drive like 45 minutes to an hour to get back because it was in L.A. And, she, you know, we live down here. And um, the only thing playing was Christmas music. So Christmas music doesn't bring up the best memories for her. And we have this car. And this car, it's a 2012. And it's like, woohoo! it's got that kind of thing where it ties into your phone. That was a big deal for us where your phone could actually play music through. Well, something went wrong with it, and so uh, in January, when you turn the car on, it'd play Christmas music. It's like, look, we've already disconnected this. So then, like in February, turn the car on, so then I'm healthy enough, and I'm messing with her phone. I'm deleting every single Christmas song. I'm deleting Pandora. I'm deleting anything that could give a hint of Christmas music flowing through so she doesn't have to relive that pain. And still, you turn on the car, boom, there it is. Heart the herald angels says, oh, every time, joy to the world, which should be happy music, right? It's all focused on Christ, but it brings up those memories. We're in August it's playing Christmas music. We still don't know what the problem is with it. So if any of you work for Toyota and you want to tell us how it stores things on there, but it still will kick in and play this Christmas music. Um, and so for us, to a large degree, Christmas needs to be saved. Christmas needs to be brought back. And so we're going through that experience right now. We hope that for you, whether it's pain or joy, but we pray that it's accurate. Um, we want to turn your Christmas upside down this morning. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, the verse that is being read for Advent almost always will be the verse that we're going to focus on for that Sunday. And I know that when, uh, when Scott started reading through the genealogy of Jesus, you're like, oh my gosh, how long are we going to go? And then when it's really short, you're like, oh, good, that was nice and short. Well, now we are going to study the genealogy of Jesus. Can I get a hey, 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 woo, woo? Sounds exciting, doesn't it? But there's a reason for it. And we're not going through the entire genealogy, which is 14 generations to 14 generations to 14 generations. Um, we're not going to do that. Six, uh, they are actually... Six generations of seven, but we're not going to go through that. But there's a reason. Because this, Matthew put this in there because he wanted to root it in history. To say, look, this is not a fairy tale, this is news. This is the story of where Jesus came from. So open up your Bibles to Matthew 1 if we can get the slide up there. So this is the genealogy. And we didn't do the entire genealogy. We're going to focus on a few of them. But genealogies at the time of Jesus are different than they are for us. Um, 
One of my children recently, uh, she had a project at school where they said, um, you need to say where you're from. My daughter had no clue. She's like, oh, where are we from? And I mean, where are we born? No, like family. And she wanted to know our genealogy, like, but our ethnicity and, you know, she, uh, and my, you know, my toe-headed kids. You're a quarter Mexican. No. Yeah, you are. Really? I'm Mexican? Yes, you are. In fact, I think that's the most dominant trait in, in my kids. And if you see them, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. But they are. But we went through some of the other stuff. Um, but at the time here, it wasn't some little side assignment they would be getting. You've all had to turn in a resume, right? And when, when you are applying for a job or something or, or your identity or your value, kind of your resume sums up your value. You know, when I was in high school, I was summa cum laude, or I was magna, and I was part of the chess club, and I won this award, and I was in this sport, and I made this, and then I went to college, and I accomplished this, and then I had this job, and I did this, and then they entrusted me with all this. In fact, let me tell you all the things I did, because so that way you know how bad at the bone I really am. And you, you put all the good stuff, and in fact, most people lie on their resume and embellish and add, well, I mean, I was summa cum laude, but you know, how about magna? Put it in, who's ever going to check? And I was at that job, and I was in charge of this, but why don't I add that I was in charge of that? I think the budget was this for the, what I was in charge of, but let's raise it to this. Um, a resume is, it's kind of like how we represent ourselves. But at this time, this was the resume. What mattered were your bloodlines. What mattered is where you were from. So what Matthew is doing is sharing the resume of Jesus to whether people want to trust him or believe in this news or not based on his bloodlines. So your resume, you're not gonna put stuff like, and they fired me because I stole a bunch of pins. Or... I got fired from this job because, well, I just didn't feel like showing up. It was really too early. Like, you would never put that in a resume, right? So if you're going to do your genealogy at this time, you're going to put in the good stuff. You're not going to put anything that would be a stain or a mark. You put only the good stuff. Yet, I wanted to highlight these areas. And we've done this before here on a Sunday morning, but we've never done it at Christmas. But this, the reason we're going to share this is, one, to share why in the world would God want this included in his resume? There's a reason for it. Because he talks about some of the things that would turn people off. Because he wants to root it in news. But also it tells us about our God. And it'll direct us to that one thing. So as we look at it here in the beginning, um, let's go to the first slide. Because what we're going to highlight is, first of all, there's women in here. At this time, you never put a woman in the genealogy, because all that matters at this time is the, blood, the male bloodline. And so you don't mention the women. And yet Matthew, who's writing this book of Matthew, is that Zeke crying? He stayed up late. Is that Zeke? <laughs> um, in this genealogy, we have Tamar. Now, so Matthew is writing this to the Jews. He's writing this book to the Jewish people. So that's the last people. They're the ones where, look, you, it's a patriarchal society. You do not put the women in. Yet he specifically is writing a letter to them, and then he puts in 
the women, they, when they hear Tamar, they know exactly who she is. Most of you are going, uh, who's that? What is it? Huh? Tamar, what is it? Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, that's all he had to say. In fact, he just had to say one of the men, puts both of them, and then he says whose mother was Tamar. So he's highlighting her. Okay, this is not a very pretty story. Basically, Judah was dishonest and lied to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and wouldn't let her have a child, so she pretended to be a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. Why in the world are we putting that in the resume? Let that sink in for a second. Okay, then we go on to uh, Rahab. Rahab was also a Canaanite. Um, so it says Salmon. I think that's really cool that someone's name was Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, and that name should sound familiar, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She was. And she was in the city, and there's an amazing story to that. But why? You could have left her out. Oh, Boaz with Ruth, yes. No, no, no. Let's highlight Tamar. Ruth comes in later, um, and those three ladies, none of them Jewish. You don't do that. You don't put that into the genealogy. You don't put that into the resume of Jesus. But Matthew is rooting this in history, and this is, this is what happened. We're not going to hide it. This is the way it looked. Okay, now we're going to go on to um, David. Well, David, I mean, come on, you got to put David in there, right? Okay, genealogy, right? Royalty, King David, one of the heroes, the heroes of the Jewish people. David, yeah, the father of Solomon. You could have just stopped right there, right? You could have just said David. You could even skipped over Solomon because you're like, wait, Solomon wasn't, but it's highlighted. Now, I'm doing the highlighting, but by Matthew even putting it in, I put it in bright green. He might have well just put it in highlighted neon lights, you know, the kind that used to be in the old Budweiser signs, and made it like huge. For anybody reading this genealogy that was Jewish, they'd be like, are you kidding me? Did you really just put that in there? Whose mother had been Uriah's wife? Because every young Jewish boy, every young Jewish woman, everyone would know who they're referring to and the situation. And here's the situation of what happened. Because we skip over it even ourselves. David was buddies with Uriah. In fact, if you've ever seen those, those they do them all the time in, in wedding photos now, right? Like they have uh, your best men. And um, in fact, we have so many amazing photographers in our community, especially in this church community and friends of this church community. And so they'll do these wedding, you know, pre-wedding photos or at the wedding photos. And you've got the guy that's getting married. And for some reason, they always make them look really good, like way better looking than they really are. And so they're standing there, and they're always, like, serious. Or they're looking off to the side, or they're holding their beard, or have their hands in their tight jeans, skinny jeans, or whatever. And then they've got all their guys behind them. And they're kind of, like, blurred out a little bit, or sometimes they're clear, but they're, like, in the photo. You know, like, hey, these are my boys. They've got my back. They walked with me. Uriah was one of those guys. In fact, when David was running away from Saul... Uriah was one of the guys, one of his mighty men, the Old Testament says. One of, his, one of the guys that fought his battles for him. That was Uriah. And so David has Uriah who has his back, one of his most trusted people in his life. 
And he goes through this whole experience, becomes king. And then David is up in his house. He looks down and he sees this woman and she's beautiful. And he's kind of forgotten who he is. And he's like, I want her. And so he takes her and sleeps with her. And it's Uriah's wife. And then, you, and then Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, becomes pregnant. So you think at this point, okay, David's going to come to his senses, right? He's a king. He's, he's a man after God's own heart. But no. In fact, he has Uriah killed on the sly. I mean, nothing these women have done compares to what David just did right here. And yet, Matthew includes it in the genealogy of Jesus. Are you kidding me? Like, why are you putting this in? You're not going to get the job with this resume. But Matthew is rooting it in news. And then there's Mary. We hear these stories and we hear this, I mean, the, the things I've shared some now are some of the worst things that have happened in humanity. And yet they're included in the bloodlines of Jesus. And then you go to Mary and Joseph, who weren't even married. And at this time, that's like, whoa! She's a pregnant teenager out of wedlock, who was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So we're rooting this in news. This is not a fairy tale. There's not bright colors. There's not music playing in the background. Little characters from America Sings are not in the background. This is real life. And it's not an accident. God could have come in any way, and yet he comes in such a real way. And the thing that I love most about this is that none of this touches the holiness of God. And what I mean by that is that none of these people that are mentioned here in the bloodlines, at different times, at different places, they were considered outcasts, outsiders, because they weren't perfect. Because they weren't Jewish, or because they were women, or because they made mistakes, and even David had to have Nathan come to him and say, look at what you've done. I mean, this is like the stuff that separates us. That's what we do. We look at God and we look at ourselves and we find ways to separate ourselves from God. And of course, we're gonna separate other people from God as well. And God makes it ultimately clear, look, I want you to see this. Don't try to hide that which isn't pretty. In fact, I'm gonna come out of that. Because, because the law of Moses would say, look, these are the outcasts. These are the people you need to be separate from. Because they're almost, it's almost like they're contagious you don't want to catch what they have. And yet God shows his ultimate holiness, and he's the contagious one. But contagious in healing, in setting things straight. He takes this bloodline, and he takes it, and he redeems it all. I mean, even, even David, even David royalty needs a savior. Christmas and this one thing is not really going to mean anything to us until we realize our need for a Savior. 
until we realize our need as David did, as Bathsheba did, as Mary did, as Tamar did, as all of them realized, look, I'm in need. I fall short. And that's why he came, to make us pure as snow. And even that is not the one thing. Here's the one thing. The one thing is not the fairy tale part of it. This message is not, like usually at this point of a message or a sermon, this is where we say, now this is what you need to go do. And so you may be asking, okay, what do I do with this? What does this have to do with me? What do I go do? You don't do anything. Because this isn't a fairy tale. This is news. Christmas is news. It's a report that someone has done something. And it is that God has done something for us. And we didn't do anything to deserve it. Just look at this genealogy of some of the most famous people that did great things. These people did great things. Every person I mentioned, Rahab, Tamar, Mary, David, even Bathsheba, they did amazing good things. But as good as they were, they did these despicable things. And yet God came anyways because this is the one thing. God loves you. He loves me. He loves your enemy. He loves that annoying uncle. He loves that cousin. He loves that brother. He loves that neighbor that just for some reason is so rude at Christmas and so angry and so upset. Whoever that may be in your life, God loves them that much. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not even flesh. He came in flesh. He came through all of this because he loves us. God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, the one thing. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It's not what you have to do, but it's that God loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Us walking around and telling people, Jesus is the reason for the season is not gonna make them go, oh my gosh. I never thought about that. Thank you so much. Did you post that? on Instagram or Facebook? Because that would have been really helpful. I would have listened. I would have come to your side. The reason lives become changed is because we know God's love. That's what turns everything upside down, is when we realize his dramatic love for us, we don't have to go do anything. We want to, willingly. We want to follow him. We want to surrender because we know his reckless, unconditional Love for us. So what do you do with this? You accept it. You treat it as news. And this is the kind of stuff we don't want to deal with. This is the kind of stuff we run with because it doesn't, it doesn't feel comfortable to feel that much love because we don't feel like we deserve it. We haven't earned it. And if I haven't earned it, I shouldn't have it. And then we apply that to other people as well. And I'm going to close with this. And I've shared this. This is the Uncle Boog time where... I keep repeating the same thing over and over again. But it's, 
I think it's why I'm still here. It's, it's why I wrote, this is not over. It's why I feel God is giving me whatever hours I have left on this planet. It's to share this message. When I was in the hospital on, on, um, well, during that time, and especially on January 1st, I had this, I didn't die, so I didn't go to heaven, but I was with the Lord. And in his presence, I, I saw f- a few faces, and some of your faces, and a few faces that aren't here. And in those faces, God says, I love these people. Not, oh, and they need to do this, and you need to tell this person about this, and what about that person, and this person's doing this, and nobody else knows it, but I know it. I'm telling you, so you can go tell them because they need to change. It was just how much he dramatically loves us. And I knew that, and I've taught that, but not like, not like I knew at that moment. Not the clarity. And I've, I've for over 20 years shared about the one thing. But to me, the one thing, the way I defined it was, this is what I need to do. And this is what I need to call other people to do, to love God and to love others. And yes, we need to do that, but only out of understanding his love. You can't make people do that because then you can't do it. How can you love God when you're made to? It's like me telling Steph, Steph, you gotta love me. <laughs> love me. Okay, I'll love you. That's not, that's not how it works, right? So you can't tell other people to do that either. But in that moment, in that experience, he took that one thing and he turned it upside down. The one thing is what I've done for you and my love for you. That's the one thing. And people need to hear that. And in my mind, there were all these people that honestly, I was like, that person's walked away. God's gonna be upset with him. And God's like, no. And he just kept bringing faces and people in front of me going, these are my people. Go tell them how much I love them. Whether it was to me or not, I didn't see everybody's faces on the entire earth. But it's all of us. That's the one thing. That God so loved us that he sent his son. That's the one thing. That's the thing we're celebrating. That's the news. That is why we call it good news. So if you're wondering what you need to do, number one, you just need to know this good news. You need to absorb yourself in this story. Hark the herald angels sing. Oh, yeah, we're playing that song. Oh, this is on the radio. Why don't you slow down and listen to the words? Look for that love that God has for you. And if you know that love, nobody needs to tell you to go share it. We're not gonna tell you to go do that. You do it when you know it. Because when you know it, you can't help but share it. When you know that there's nothing that you could possibly do to be separated from his love other than rejecting it and going, screw you, God. I'm pretty sure none of you have done that. And if you have, come talk to me. I can't talk you out of it. But let me just tell you, he loves you. And if you knew his love, you would never say that. He loves you. That's why there's Christmas. Christmas is when love was born. God is love. So the worship team's gonna come up. And these, these songs, that's what they are. They're songs of our love back to him. And if you don't feel it, don't go, oh, we're singing the songs. I gotta sing these songs. No, you don't. Nobody told you you had to sing these songs. So I want you to stay seated. Uh, I'm gonna pray for us. Um, the songs, as they happen over the, I don't know how many they're gonna do. They'll tell you when they're done. <laughs> um, participate if you know that his love. If you wanna know more about his love, listen to these songs. Um,
the offering's going to come by. Um, if you're visiting or you're not part of the church and you haven't, then just let it pass. God doesn't need your money. <laughs> he doesn't. The offering is our response to his love, and then we, as leaders, we have to take that money and do with it what we think he would want done with it. Um, also outside, for some of you, this message, you just can't believe it, and you just need to be prayed over. We're not going to counsel out there, but we have leaders that are going to be out there behind those bamboo, what do we call those things? Huh? Partitions. Thank you. That's why I married her. Um, bamboo partitions. So there'll be some leaders back there just to pray with you. Like I said, they're going to counsel. They're going to pray over you. So I'm going to pray for the offering and pray for you. And if you want to um, be prayed for, um, please take advantage of that time. Father God, this is too big for us. But you've given it to us, so you must be able to grow us to accept it. Your love is, is, is beyond the size of us. Yet we were created in your image. So we must be more than we think we are. We surrender to you in the name of our Savior. Jesus. Amen. For me, you know, prayer isn't always super solemn and bowing your head and whatnot. And so I have a poem that I wrote uh, some years ago, and I am going to sh try and share it. <laughs> uh, and then uh, that'll be our prayer, my prayer. I had to write it down. Okay. Funny how he gave everything to clean me white as a fresh fallen snow under a new dawn, but somehow I can still feel more dirty than a slushy ditch alongside a well-traveled highway. Because the faint line I have between freedom and the enemy's shackles can be easily blurred in my mind, wreaking havoc on my clarity. It's why I've given all my secrets away, expecting my judgment day, yet given new light, I pray to shine bright. For you to see him and not me, for I am nothing, and he has given me undeserved life right before your eyes, saved from rotting slowly alone in a dark room, sinking deeper inside of myself, hopelessly clawing my way toward the surface, but always slipping. My surrender nailed to my soul on that day when all was lost, but more was born. With sweet surrender, New to my taste buds, he lifted me out and he lifted me up. Amazed by his grace, I could finally feel the light warm my skin and thaw the blocks of fear which cluttered my heart. Sweet is his redemption, tender is his love. Oh, thank you, God Almighty, for I've been freed at last. Amen.